Good morning, church family, wherever you may be, uh, gathered or scattered. Uh, we're glad you're here today. want to welcome you to our, our time together, and uh, it is so good to see uh, a lot of folks here this morning. We know there are other folks gathered around their uh, screen at home. You know, I was thinking, uh, we were saying that song, that last song, Cornerstone, and a thought went through my mind uh, was this, that one day uh, we're going to be in heaven, and we're going to turn to somebody and go, do you remember 2020? And they're going to go, no. <laughs> I think it's all going to be a past memory. It's not going to stick in our mind at all because we're going to be, uh, it's going to be overcome uh, by the glory of God. So this is a brief moment, and I like the Bible says it's not worth remembering compared to the joy that one day we'll experience. Uh, so we will continue to remain faithful and move through this time. We're glad you're here today and glad you're joining us. Uh, we're in a series that we began a few weeks ago called Joy to the World. And we're doing that because there's not a lot of joy in our world today for a lot of people. Uh, Sometimes we have to conjure, you know, kind of work up the joy uh, in our hearts because people are feeling low. Uh, people are feeling um, isolated and threatened and fearful and anxious. Uh, and you know what? There's a good reason for that, more than normal, it seems like. You know, this virus has blindsided us, put us in a place that nobody could ever imagine. It still kind of blows me away when I think about uh, where we are uh, and where we were and uh, how we got here. It's just kind of a, a really strange thing to think about. It has limited our contact with a lot of people. It's taken us out of our regular routines. It's robbed us of many of the things that we find joy in in life, hasn't it? Uh, our, our travel, our events, holidays, family, it's going to be cut short this year for a lot of people. And then on top of that, if that weren't enough, uh, there's politics and We've never had such a controversial election season, not in my lifetime anyway, and there are really strong feelings, and there are frustrations of people, and there's fear-mongering, and there's a lot of uh, uh, drawn-out conclusion with unsatisfying results for a lot of people, and there's violence around our country. It's sparked by politics and by racial, uh, racial injustice and a lot of controversial events, and add to all that, if that weren't enough... Here we come to this time of year, which is a difficult time for a lot of people. For, for many of us, we just celebrate. For a lot of people, however, Christmas, the holidays, Thanksgiving, the time in between is a time of feeling melancholy. It's a time of, of loss that is, you know, kind of heightened. It's a time of sadness, unfulfilled expectations. Then you got dysfunctional families thrown in on top, disappointing circumstances, all those things together, I mean, when I say joy to the world, a lot of people say, yeah, right, you know, there's a lot of joy out there for me, all right? We're not feeling it in many ways. But let me remind you that Jesus came to bring joy to our world, and not in our circumstances, and not in things, not in people even, but in Himself. And we got to remember that. And the Apostle Paul is really great proof of that. As we mentioned before, Paul's in a Roman jail. He's probably shackled both arms to a hardened guard. He's more than likely cold. I just imagine jails would always be cold, malnourished, alone. But in spite of all that, he has joy. And he writes this entire book with the theme of joy. Now, I got to be honest and tell you, I don't, I'm afraid I wouldn't be the picture of joy if I were there. I'm afraid I, that's not my personality to be that joyful in time. I mean, I'm so blessed and I still struggle sometimes finding joy. All the things God's given me, I still have a hard time, you know, feeling that way. But today we're going to go to the heart, kind of cut to the heart, and sort of learn some lessons about how to find joy in spite of the circumstances of life. 
You know, the world around us has really programmed us, I believe, to make us think that the only way that we can be happy, which is how we often describe joy, the only way we can be happy is to have everything going our way, to be successful, whatever that may mean to you, to, have, to be climbing the ladder of success, to have all of your needs and even more, to have all your wants met as well. Those are the things that we would describe or define as making us happy. But you know what? That is an elusive goal that we oftentimes chase but never really achieve because even if our needs are met, our wants are always out in front of us. And in fact, it seems to me like the more that we actually have, the less content we are and the more we want. I think in a world today where we have so much, our contentment level is probably much lower than it was a few years ago. And we got to learn to understand that Contentment and joy doesn't always come in things and blessings. So that must not be the answer. The secret to joy must not be having everything we want and having everything our way. So today we're going to be looking at the other end of the spectrum. We're going to be looking at the far, the bottom in the lowest place. How do we find joy in the lowest place? If the most and the highest place doesn't give us joy, then let's look in the other end of the spectrum. And what did Jesus mean when he said, the first will be last and the last will be first? There is some wisdom in that that maybe we need to wrap our heads and our minds around to think about finding joy and where we actually place ourselves. And that brings us to our scripture this morning in Philippians chapter 2. And here's what Paul says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then makes my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value other people above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. Now, remember that Paul's writing from prison to a group of people, believers on the outside, who seemingly had every reason to be experiencing joy. I mean, they had freedom. They were somewhat prospering. We said that Philippi was a city probably of mostly retired soldiers, and so they probably were on a pension. Uh, they had their needs met. Uh, it was, it's a Philippi. I mentioned I had seen the city. It lays in a beautiful plain, so their surroundings are beautiful, and they seemingly had every reason to be happy, but they weren't happy. And I think that kind of relates to us today in America, especially in beautiful central Kentucky, Woodford County, we have every reason seemingly to be happy. There are people all over the world who be, would be envious of what we have, of our homes, our freedom, our lifestyle, our blessings, our wealth. People would be are envious of us here, and yet we're not joyful. We're not happy. What's going on there? So these words are really, I think, impactful and relevant to us today. And Paul begins by reminding us that we do have all that we need. And he would say that even though he didn't have all he needs, he would say that in Christ we have all we need. Today we would pile on top of that we have more than we need today. But he reminds us of some things that we do have. We have encouragement from being united with Christ. We have the fellowship, the body of Christ. We have the comfort from the love of Christ. We have common sharing in the Spirit. We have tenderness. We have compassion. I don't know about you, but I have all these things in my life. I have people that help provide these things as well as Christ. Now, it's interesting that Paul uses the word if here, but he kind of means not if, because it wasn't iffy, it was 
when and because. I think that's really what he's trying to say. Because we have all these things, our joy should be complete, and these things should lead us to unity, to being like-minded is what he said, the same love, one in spirit and one in mind. You know, joy doesn't come from being on the top of the heap. Paul says that joy comes from being in fellowship with Christ, being at the bottom, and being intertwined with other believers. You know, I think that means that we don't seek to be great, but that greatness and joy and fulfillment actually come whenever we lose ourselves in Christ and we lose ourselves in others. Well, that's a hard lesson because our culture doesn't tell us that. Our culture says you only find joy and happiness when you're at the top. But Paul says, no, no, that's not how it happens. It, it comes when you're at the bottom and you're actually intertwined with everybody else. And then he introduces us the idea, the concept that we're kind of looking at of humility. And he says, do not act out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, value others above yourselves, looking to their interest and not your own. You know, I believe that Paul's talking here to encourage and kind of build up the whole idea of Christian community, about being involved in the lives of other believers and they being intertwined in our lives as well. And I don't know about you, but my life is so blessed by having Christian relationships, by having friends, by having uh, acquaintances, people that not only are family, but more importantly, our church family, our Christian family, even if they're not a member of this particular church. Joy is something that we receive in Christ and we share with others. And we know that's true because if we become isolated, it's easy to lose our joy. It's easy to become inward focused and become, frankly, grouchy, you know? And what I've noticed is the reality of this in this season of time that there are people who are not normally grouchy, but because of what's going on have kind of become grouches, kind of become critical, kind of become negative and complaining about everything. And that really isn't their nature. And I think the reason is because we have experienced isolation, maybe for good reasons for some. Maybe there's a, a need for that. Maybe it's just our tendency to be less outward focused because we're more inward concerned about our safety and health. And there's nothing wrong with that until it comes to the point that we lose our joy in that. You know, I, I enjoy people, love being around people, but, but I have to say that my favorite people are those who have true joy inside and who are believers, who, who it just comes out of. You just know they're joyful. They don't have to be happy all the time, but you know they have joy just exuding from them. And I love being around those kind of people. I want to be one of those kind of people. I want to be around them. I want to share friendship. I want to hear their stories. I want to hear what God's doing in their life. I want to watch them grow spiritually. I want to see what God is doing in them and through them. And that's what Paul's saying, is saying when we interact with other believers, when we connect with one another, and since we share this common faith and we're going to share a common future, then there certainly is something special about those kind of relationships. And that really is part of Paul's point here, that we have so much in common that we ought to seek unity with each other, and we do that through humility. You do not build unity with, through pride or arrogance. That just creates division. Humility comes, uh, humility brings uh, unity, and that in turn brings joy. And he's trying to lay the foundation to teach us what the real lesson of the day that we find joy and humility and fulfillment in life through Christ and in spite of our circumstances. So the secret is humility and servanthood. And that's where he's going to move next. And you know what? That's a hard lesson to learn. 
In fact, it's so hard for us as human beings, even Jesus' disciples, the ones who were interacting with him on a daily basis, they were sharing with him in person, they were living with him, eating with him, everything, everything in common, but they still argued regularly about who was the greatest. And if you think about it, that was such a silly argument when they were in the presence of Jesus. I mean, really. They were with Jesus, the Son of God, and they were arguing among themselves who was the greatest. Jesus said if they wanted to be great, you know what he said, you have, they have to become a servant first like himself. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their officials and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus kind of laid that truth on them, and that shut them down at least temporarily. Next time they argued, they weren't in, in front of Jesus. But what he taught them is that being a servant brings joy and we don't often see the joy in servanthood. We oftentimes see the sacrifice. And you know what? Jesus displays or reveals both of those traits. And we'll get to that in just in a moment. And so in our scripture in Philippians 2, we come to what is what I believe one of the most powerful passages in the Bible. And I love this scripture. But what was so frustrating is when I was writing this message, I couldn't seem, I couldn't seem to find an anchor point to communicate it. And I'll tell you why and, and how I think I overcame that in a few minutes. But this is a powerful passage of Scripture, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, so he's talking about the interaction with other believers, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God called him, or exalted him, to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that an amazing passage of Scripture? I mean, that's just... Unbelievable to, to think about that. You know, some people say that this was actually a hymn of that day, that they put this to music, that they actually sang this. It was a statement of who Jesus was, and it was a challenge for us to be like Jesus because Paul says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Do we determine our mindset? Absolutely we do. We determine our mindset. How do we deal with something? How do we face something? We, we determine how we'll do that. If it's difficulty or adversity or hardship, we can, you know, we can bow under it. We can give in. Or through the power of Christ, we can have the right mindset. And so he says, have a mindset as that of Christ Jesus. And then he explains who Jesus is, that Jesus is God. That Jesus is God. He came in human form, but he is God. He existed before his human birth. This is the doctrine that we call the Trinity. That word is actually is in the Bible, but it's taught throughout the Bible. The Trinity of the Father, Jesus the, Jesus the Son, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit are one. They have no beginning. They have no end. They were all present in creation. They were active in history as recorded in the Old Testament. We see the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We see them clearly at Jesus' baptism. They are equal, and they are different, and yet they are one. Very difficult for us to wrap our heads around. 
But the Bible teaches this about the Trinity and the importance of understanding the role of each person in the Trinity. But Paul says Jesus being in very nature God. You cannot separate Jesus and God or the Holy Spirit. But Jesus, even though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to or to be used for his own advantage. I love the way uh, one of Tony and I's friends, Dan Spader, said he didn't always play the God card. He was God in flesh, but he didn't always make everything go his way. In fact, in looking at his life, many things didn't go his way. And he didn't pull out the God card and say, hey, I'm God, because this has got to be this way. The amazing thing is that Jesus, even though he is God, he could have stayed in heaven. He would have been safe and sound up there compared to what he had to endure here. He could have dealt with man from a distance. He could have done that. In fact, God had always done that down through history. But instead, he made himself nothing. Paul says he took on the very nature of a servant, and he was made in human likeness. And that is his incarnation. That's what we're going to be uh, celebrating here in about a month. Jesus being born as a helpless baby into our world. And it's hard for us to understand how God became flesh and dwelt among us. It's hard for us to understand why Jesus would do that. Another translation says that Jesus emptied himself. Jesus emptied him. He gave up everything. When Jesus came to earth, he gave up several of his divine abilities. You know, the three distinct abilities of God that make him God, he gave them up. First of all, he gave up his omnipresence. The omnipresence of God means that God is everywhere. He can be everywhere at once. But when Jesus was on the earth, he limited himself to a physical body. And even though sometimes you feel like you're going here and there, meeting yourself, coming and going, you're actually never in but one place at a time, all right? So slow down. But understand that you can only be in one place at a time. Jesus limited himself to, his, to an ability not to be everywhere at once. Jesus also gave up his omnipotence. The, the omnipotence is the unlimited power of God, that God can do everything. And God can, and Jesus can, but he gave that up in the human flesh. He submitted to human authority. Jesus, when he came to earth, he gave up his omniscience. And omniscience means the ability of God to know everything. God knows everything. But when Jesus came to earth, he gave up that as well. In fact, he acknowledged there were some things he didn't know. And, and primarily, he said he didn't know when his return would be. Only that God knew that. So Jesus gave up all these things. He emptied himself, and he came to our earth. Now, why did he do that? He did that because he wanted to become like you and I, so that we could become like him. Jesus became a human being. You know, he, he could have come as an adult man, when you think about it, in a, in a, a royal family, and he could have ruled the people. I mean, he really could have. He could have just appeared as, a, you know, a, a guy from some other country. He comes in, and suddenly he's in charge. He's the king. He could have ruled like that. But he didn't do that. He put himself below everybody. He became the helpless of all people. He became a baby, dependent on other people for everything. He was vulnerable to death and attack. In fact, he had to be taken to another country to avoid death by King Herod. He was submissive to his parents. He was a child. He had to obey them. He had to obey his parents who were imperfect. He was a teenager. He had to submit to his parents as a teen. You know how that hard that is, right? He worked with his father. He supported his mother seemingly when his father passed away. 
He was homeless. He didn't have a, his, his own home. He didn't own one. He depended on everybody else for food and for shelter and clothing. He walked everywhere he went. He poured himself, he emptied himself out. The God of the universe became that guy with nothing. And you know what? Just as, I mean, just his coming was an amazing example of him giving up everything to be like us. He left the highest place in heaven along with his title, his power, his glory, and his safety to come to the lowest place to reconcile us to God. He emptied himself out. But you know what? He even went further than that. Because next Paul says, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Not only did Jesus become a human being, he humbled himself and submitted to being put to death. You know, death is oftentimes viewed as defeat, as losing, right? If two people are locked in a uh, battle to the death and one of them dies, typically you think that's the loser, right? Jesus put himself in that place where he allowed himself seemingly to be defeated. And you say, well, that had to happen because everybody dies, right? No, not really. There are two people in the Bible who never died. Enoch was the first. Elijah was the second. God took them away. Have you ever thought that if God wanted to, he could have taken Jesus away as well? He could have just zoomed him back up. I mean, after his resurrection, and by the way, he did go back up, right? Could he, he could have taken him out once he had come and established the kingdom and proved his point. He could have done that, right? But that wasn't a part of his plan. Jesus had to deal with death. He had to die. And not just any death. It wasn't a peaceful, quiet death of old age, right? It, it was a violent death. And not just a violent death, it was a death on a cross. And that was the most shameful death to die on. A torturous death where you struggled for every breath for hours. It was slow. And on top of that, it was public. And you were, were exposed to the world naked and just dying slowly. In fact, the Bible says, this came from the Old Testament, but Galatians 3 repeats it, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So if you want to be cursed and die, you would die on a cross. But there was a purpose for all this. Jesus died a horrible death to pay for our sins. He literally took our place, dying in the worst way possible. And he did that as a servant. He came as a servant. He took our place like a servant would do. He served us in many ways by becoming human. He modeled servanthood by, by serving his disciples, even washing their feet, which was the lowest task of all. He served us by dying for us. And here's the amazing thing. He's still serving us. Do you know what he's doing right now? He's preparing a place in heaven for us. He is preparing a place. He is serving us even now. And he is answering prayers for us. You know, we pray, and we believe that He hears, right? And Jesus is giving comfort to us, and He's encouraging us. He's providing for us. He's protecting us. He's saving us. He is still serving us, even in heaven, because He said the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve others. And because of that service and because of His sacrifice, because He put Himself low, Jesus has been exalted. He, has, he was exalted before, but now he's like super exalted. That's what Paul says. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name. So where's Jesus? He's back in heaven. He's serving us now, but, ha but he's not only on the throne, he has greater glory and greater honor than he even had before. 
He's lifted to the highest heights, and he has the greatest name above any name, and that's Lord. Now, we don't know how Jesus could be any higher than he was before, but he is in some way. And one day, Paul says, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, Jesus said that if we will confess him before men, he will confess us before the Father who is in heaven. And we should love to do it. We should never be ashamed of Jesus. But let me tell you, one day, everyone will confess Jesus and bow to him. That person that you know that would never say the word Jesus or God without a curse word around it will acknowledge him in reverence and submission. Those of us who are believers will do that with love and honor and willingly. But everyone else will do it in submission. They will acknowledge him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. The proudest dictator, the harshest atheist, it doesn't matter who they are, will acknowledge who Jesus is. But at that point, it will be too late. But the Bible says everyone will bow to him. You know, I preach this scripture a lot, uh, many times. But I got to be honest with you and tell you, you know, as we're studying through a book, you, you got to yeah, we, like to, we like to preach it all, and we like to say, how do we make this come alive? How do you find freshness in this? And I got to be honest, I was having a hard time thinking how to communicate this until a thought came to me, a scripture that I'd read many times, and I've never really thought about it in this way. But this scripture came to me uh, just at an odd time. It's in Hebrews chapter 2. Here's what it says. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is what we've been talking about, where it says Jesus came down, and he ran the race. He ran his race, and he marked out the course for us, and now we have to run the race with perseverance, and we fix our eyes on Jesus because he's our goal He's the one that's already run his race. But here's what struck me. I'd never thought about it in this way before. That one phrase, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That Jesus did it with joy. Have you ever thought about how Jesus entered into this time of, of crucifixion? He did it with joy. And that, as I thought about that, was almost more than I could imagine. It was so humbling to think about. He didn't do it with resentment. He didn't do it with anger. He didn't do it with scorn for wicked people that were making him do it. He did it with joy. He chose to do that. He found joy in dying for you and I. He found joy in humbling himself for us. And I don't know about you, but that just struck me again about the love of Jesus and, and that demands our loyalty and our commitment. How do we look at that in any other way? How do we look at that without a desire to be closer, following him closer? And it demands our imitation as followers of Christ as well. And it shows us how we can find joy when we, take, when we go low in life. Only in Christ do we find joy, not in our circumstances because they're not pleasant always. But these circumstances that are not always pleasant can humble us and drive us to Christ, and He will lift us up. Jesus said, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus was a servant, 
And he says he has a statement of reward for those who are servants here. In Matthew 23, says, Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear him say that. That is my goal in life. I want to hear him say that, and that's the person I want to be. I want my life to be lived in joy, to bring glory to God, to honor him. I want to encourage you as believers. I want to be your servant, and I want to show you, show a lost world that doesn't know what servanthood is or joy is. I want to show them where hope can be found. And I believe that when we take that attitude, that posture, and that mindset of Jesus, we will not only find joy, but we will honor him, and we will bring joy to the world so that we can sing, in spite of everything, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. When he is our king, I think the world begins to see the hope, the joy that he could offer them as well. You know, my, my hope and desire is that you, if you're here or if you're listening to us online, is that you have that hope in Jesus Christ and that you have that joy that overcomes and supersedes all circumstances in life. And my prayer is that if you do not, you would take a step, your first step or your next step on your journey to give your life to Jesus Christ. I would love to have that conversation with you if you would let me know.